All right. So good morning again. Welcome. Uh, like I said, my name is Nate and it's good to, to see lots of faces, to hear the joy of being able to see each other, to hear each other. Um, we are here this morning to look intently at the immeasurable riches of God's grace for, towards us, that uh, comes towards us in kindness uh, in Christ Jesus. Um, and that grace comes to us in the places where we are most overwhelmed by life, in the places where we are most haunted by regret and failure. Um, part of the overwhelming story of the Bible is that God cares so much about us that he sent his only beloved son. He's, his mercy is drawn to where we are struggling. And so we're going to see some of that this morning. Uh, later, as we look at the book of Colossians together, and I hope you find great encouragement and strength to continue to keep following Jesus and believing the gospel and, and being formed into Christ's image. And so a couple announcements before we jump into our actual worship service uh, session. Most of you should have gotten the email, but we, because New York is still on pause through May 15th, the elders of the church, even though we do not like being apart, are uh, wanting to protect you, wanting to keep you safe. And so we are still waiting for that all clear when we're able to come back. And my company is more than my kids' stuffed animals sitting in the chairs. And so um, continue to pray that that will happen. Things are heading in the right direction by God's grace. And so we're, we're happy for that. And we definitely do not like this. But like I said, we want to we hate the disease. Love you. And when as we the session is meeting this week to even start talking about what would it look like for us to return when we're given the freedom to do so. Uh, so we would cover your prayers for wisdom uh, to, to be able to do this well. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be in touch to, to figure this out with you. Uh, another announcement. This is more one of sadness that also has gone out by email for years. Uh, 30, 30 years or more, Spot Christian School has shared and used the space here at Hope Church. And, and this year, due to low enrollment and, and staff changeover and just a whole perfect storm of difficulties has, has led the school board to start the process to close the school. Uh, but the vote should be in. I haven't heard official word, but um, this, this is going to be the last year academic school year for Spock Christian School, and they're not even able to come together and do that. So there's just a lot of grief and sadness and sorrow with those connected to the school. Um, Melanie Combs, our Christian ed director, is, is on staff there. Uh, you can remember her. We, our kids are a part of the school, the Perkins. I mean, this is, and there's others who many of you have been a part of Spock Christian and, and have seen all the good that it has done personally for you and your family. So continue to, to pray for them. We're grateful for 38 years of faithfulness and we'll see what the Lord does from here. And if you have questions, we'd like to talk to any one of the elders, please, please contact us. But we'll, we'll keep you posted as we have information. Uh, two other quick announcements. Uh, I was enjoyed meeting with about a dozen of you last Thursday to talk about praying the Psalms and how meditating on God's word grows you and strengthens you and equips you for times like this. Um, the next meeting will be not this coming Thursday, but May 14th. Uh, we're gonna try and do every other week to pace ourselves. So if you're, you can put that on your calendar. It'll also go out via email. But I, 
like to continue to look at just the, the way the Psalms work their way into our lives and, and help grow and build our faith in good times and bad. And then the, the last announcement I have has to do with uh, another prayer request. Pray for our diaconal team. Every year, May and June, um, our deacons, those who are volunteer voluntarily and, and serving Christ Church uh, to make Christ known through acts of mercy, financial, um, it, the one part of it is financial help. We help those in need. And another part of it's just personal, relational, social, spiritual. I mean, it's, it's a whole bodied care for people the way Christ has cared for us. And so with the BACA, what we do is we administrate uh, a fund that is used for those in need in the Boston Spa School District. So this is, even with the COVID times, this is still happening. People are still trying to pay bills, pay rent, pay car, car difficulties, uh, buy groceries. I mean, we're, we're gonna be a part of that. So pray for our diaconal team. That is uh, the Cornicks, uh, Jill Martz, Dan Trestick, Fred Richards, Dave Whitehead, myself, Sally Jenkins is involved. If it's something you would like to be involved in, like I said, we've got May and June, we'll train you. You get to participate, even if it's just observing this year, it's a great way to, to see if God is giving you a heart and, and a desire and an ability to serve his church this way. So reach out if you're, if you're interested. All right, well, we are here to worship. So let's take a moment of silence and to, to ask God to help you, us focus to hear his words today. And then Pastor Jim will, will lead us in the call to worship. Call to worship today is <clears throat> taken from Isaiah chapter 55. And we start saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on, me, on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Dear gracious Father, thank you uh, for the grace that we have felt this morning by putting our feet to the floor, by waking up, by realizing that this is a beautiful day as the sun's shining, the sky is blue, the temperatures are warm, and uh, we hear creation singing out the beautiful sounds of your handiwork. So we are thankful for that today. We also are thankful uh, that this is the Sabbath, and this is as the best we are doing today, we pray that you would receive it, that our hearts are still desiring uh, fellowship with you and fellowship with others, that in the congregation, we will sing your praises. So Lord, for those who are gathered here this morning, 
we join together in recognizing that there is no God like you. There was no one greater than you. Greater is he that is in the world. Greater are you, Lord, than he that is in the world. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would again today, this Sabbath, receive the praise that we have as we come to you today, receive the heartfelt uh, fears and uh, anxious moments and uh, wearisome lives and thoughts. Our minds are working more than ever, Lord. Our uh, concerns and our hearts are, are working to uh, be concerned with our loved ones, those who are far and those who are near. Uh, we pray, Lord, as uh, you will continue to bless us with the gospel that tells us that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that the greatest concern that we could ever have is being out of fellowship with you, and you have made that possible by redeeming us and uh, making us your children. And so, Lord, we pray that as we hear the songs today, and that we hear <clears throat> the prayers today, and as we hear the word today, that our hearts would continue to rejoice, no matter at what state our emotions may be at, or what level of uh, tentativeness we may find ourselves this morning, we know, God, your word is powerful and goes out and, and, and achieves everything that you desire it to do. And so, Lord, we are thankful that you work in spite of us. And so we pray that you would receive the glory you deserve, even in these moments now. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John's going to lead us in singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And if you're wondering what an Ebenezer is, that is a monument that, that they made in the Old Testament saying, God has brought me this far. So it's a monument to God's, God's help and grace. Let's sing. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. His dreams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of God's unchanging love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, find my wandering heart to thee. Born to wander, Lord, I feel it. Born to leave the God I love. 
Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment of judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. O, the King of Israel, the Lord, is in the midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He, he will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Join with me now for the confession of sin. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we come now to confess our many sins and the misery they have caused. May your kindness lead us now to repentance. For we, as children of Adam, live every moment under the shadow of your wings. We enjoy your many good gifts that come from you. We feast every day on the abundance of your house. We drink from the river of your delights. Yet we too often are thankless recipients of your abundant mercies and care. We listen to the voice of wickedness deep in our hearts, not caring what you think. We flatter ourselves, thinking we are better than we are. Our words are used to cause trouble and deceive rather than to help and heal. Thank you that though our sins are many, your mercy in Christ Jesus is more. Forgive us now for his sake. Holy Spirit, Give us eyes to see the steadfast love of our Father, who knows what we need before we ask. Grow in us a deeper gratitude. I'm sorry, I lost my place. Grow in us a deeper gratitude for the grace we have received. Form us into a Christ-like people who are generous with your gifts, as you have been with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take some silent time to go now before our Father in heaven.
Hear now the assurance of pardon. This is from Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All right, so I'll ask now um, for all the kids, uh, and uh, don't feel like you have to come off video. Uh, I have two kids right here that I can interact with, um, but this is gonna be our kids' sermon. Uh, Nate has asked to start uh, going through very, very systematically the Lord's Prayer uh, for the children. So we're going to start out with the very beginning part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and kids, if you, I'm sure you've heard the Lord's Prayer before that we've said together in worship services. Uh, we're all going to say it in just a minute together. Uh, but for right now, we're going to start out with the very first part of the Lord's Prayer. Here, can you sit up? Oh, yeah. So the first part of the Lord's Prayer is Our Father in Heaven. So I have a story to tell you guys. You, it may be hard for you to imagine, but I was a first grader once. Can you guys imagine me as a first grader? I had a lot more hair then. Um, yeah, not many, many years ago. Um, and my teacher in first grade, my school teacher's name was Mrs. Bohm. Mrs. Bohm. And do you know what I did one time? I called Mrs. Bohm mommy once during school. I was, I raised my hand. I had to ask her some question. And instead of Mrs. Bohm, I said mommy. And was she my mom? Was Mrs. Bohm my mom? No, she was my teacher. <laughs> I bet the adults in the room, in the Zoom room, Probably some of you did this when you were kids. Kids, have you ever done this? Raise your hand if you've ever called somebody who wasn't your mom or dad, mommy or daddy or mom or dad. Have you ever done that? Yeah, yeah, it happens, right? Is it a little bit embarrassing? Because they're not your real mom and dad and you just called them the wrong name and, and you feel like, well, they're not my mom, but I just called you mom or I just called you dad. Well, this part of the prayer teaches us jesus when he told us to pray oh yeah cj what did you want to say nothing <laughs> um, in this part of the prayer jesus we can call god our father and we don't have to be embarrassed about it we don't have to think no i just called him the wrong name we can come to god in heaven up in his throne room in his palace in heaven sitting on his throne in heaven and we can say to him, Daddy, our Father. And for those of us who love Jesus and who have been called by his name, we can call God our Father and not have to be embarrassed about it because he's our Father. And that is such an encouragement to me as I think about Jesus dying on the cross, bringing us near to God so that we can be adopted and we're, we don't have to worry about calling God our Daddy. He is our dad. He is our father. So when we say this first part of the prayer, I want you to remember that you don't have to remember me as a first grader calling Mrs. Baum mommy and being embarrassed or you calling one of your teachers mommy or daddy and, and being embarrassed. You don't have to be embarrassed when you come to God and call him 
our Father. So we're all going to say this prayer together. And we'll start out and we'll remember what it means to call God our Father and how we can do that without embarrassment. All right, let's all say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. That was great. All right. Well, if you will turn with me to the book of Colossians. I'm going to read from chapter 1. There's verses 13 to 16 and, and chapter 2.15. My sermon this morning, our, our meditation is going to be on Colossians 2.15. Right? I did the math. It's been 49 days since the last time we talked about Colossians. It's been seven weeks. Uh, that means all the weeks are kind of one big blur in my mind. I imagine yours as well. It's seven weeks of being separated. So before I read these, I'm just going to give a recap that'll land us right into chapter 215, um, right? Because Colossians is this great little letter from the Apostle Paul written to a brand new church. This is about 20 years after Jesus's resurrection. Right? These guys had someone else show up, a pastor, a church planner, tell them Jesus lived for them. He died for them. He rose again. Um, and they believed their life was changed all of a sudden they found this new power the, the the holy spirit himself dwelling in them and they're overflowing with thanksgiving it's in verse eight of chapter one it says uh, paul's impressed with just they love each other and one of the effects when you become a christian is you start to love people the way god loved you right and then as you as you go a little bit further paul moves uh, to to that great question of who is Jesus. And, and there's just this majestic poem saying Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. He's the king of all things, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He's the fullness of God dwelling on earth as a human being. That's what he was and is. He, he was the perfect human. He was the one in charge of the church. We, we serve him. He's the firstborn from the dead, the first one to rise up from the dead, which gives us hope that we get to rise like him. And, and Paul ends that great, beautiful poem by saying all that authority and power was used to make peace by the blood of the cross, to reconcile us to God, which is, we need to hear this again, to make us what every follower of Jesus is by faith and faith alone, holy, blameless, and above reproach, you are unaccusable in God's presence by faith alone, in Christ alone, adopted a son, as we just heard from Brandon. And then we saw that, that, that Jesus sends the church, 
pastors like Paul who suffer with you and suffer for you to help you believe the gospel. And so the message is stay close to Jesus. The gospel is good news. And then chapter two starts to give you reasons why you should stay close to Jesus to, to stay. Uni- we are united to him. And that, that's, that's where we were seven weeks ago where Paul said, do not be enamored, deceived, or confused by anything that is not connected to Jesus. Meaning there's all kinds of different ways to be human, religions, theories, beliefs, ways of living. None of them offer you what the gospel offers you if you are in Christ. And we we saw Jesus gives, in Christ we are circumcised, our hearts are changed, uh, in Christ, we've been baptized, meaning Jesus' story is now our story. We've died. We are now a new creation. We've risen again in Christ. All our transgressions have been forgiven. It was all nailed to the cross. All that stuff. Buried, dead in Christ. All our ugly, our sin, never to be raised again. And that's where you get Colossians 2, 13 to 15. It's a good I mean, there, there's so much there. I don't want to re-preach all the sermons. You'll have to go back to the website. So let's read God's word. It's Colossians 2, uh, 13. Well, I'll read one verses 13 and following, and then I'll jump back down to two. So hear God's word. Where Paul says, Jesus, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then down in chapter two, verse 13, it says, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is God's word spoken to us today in his son. Uh, It is true, trustworthy, and spoken in love. Let's let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we say now, like the psalmist, we we come to you to take refuge, to find Jesus to be our hiding place, the one who protects us. And so we say, let us never to be put to shame in your righteousness, deliver us, help us. As we meditate and and look deeply at at Colossians 2.15, Holy Spirit, fill us now with the very fullness of knowledge of how much we are loved and defended by Jesus Christ, who loves us still. So lead us now and today and, and forevermore in joy and peace, bought and paid for by Jesus, who loved us and gave himself up for us. Teach us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. So what I'd like to do today is I want to help us meditate on 2.15. It's the, the final line of argumentation that we were going through in chapter two. 
And what it's going to do is help us understand more deeply the grace of God that we have been given in Jesus. It's grace that has fought for us in the past, but because it is true then, it has many implications for how we live now. It's grace that continues to fight battles that we could never win on our own. And if you remember the context of chapter 2, verse 15 is the final line in Paul's argument for why you must stay close to Jesus, why you shouldn't walk away, why you should continue to believe. Right, he says in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he says, for, in him. You know, all these in him statements are all the, here's why you should see to it that no one takes you away. You don't get caught by other ideas. Right? So each line in, that follows verse 8, it's the gospel arguing with your heart. Trust him. Look at what he's done for you. This is a logical argument. But it's also showing you this, the sheer abundant riches of the mercy we have in Christ. That each, In each sentence that we studied before, um, it's like Paul's throwing open an, uh, another door to a house you just inherited. And in each room that you're exploring is filled with, with treasure to be enjoyed and explored and to live in light of your newfound riches. And this is, this is laying the groundwork for how we change. Right, so this is both logic, but it's logic meant to inflame your heart with love for this Jesus and what He's done for you. So let's let's look at verse 15, where Paul, with great precision, tells you exactly what happened to Jesus and in Jesus on the cross that is for us. It says He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphing over them in Him or in the cross, depending on your translation. So let's take that line and just wring out every last drop of good news that is packed in there. And it is a packed statement. It's connected to the whole storyline of the Bible. And if you're not sure what that means, that's okay. Um, I'm going to explain it. But, but minimum, you start here, it's telling you, verse 15, Jesus went to war with powers and authorities greater than you for you. Specifically, the impact's going to be on our shame. He's putting these rulers and authorities that were over us to shame. So we're going to be the recipients. Right? So really, that's what I want to show you, how this text helps you from living shame-free in Christ, to keep you from wallowing in those things you're ashamed of. It's going to help us do spiritual warfare. We'll talk about what that means. So let's start here. Let's look at the powers of the rulers and authorities. Why should we care? You know, this is not normal language, the way we talk about um, relating to the world. We don't have this hierarchy. We're Americans. I can, I'm free, right? <laughs> don't tread on me. Um, what in the world are these rulers and authorities? Well, at first read, look at the cross. Right? That's where the triumph happened. Jesus has been nailed to the cross, to a tree, 
This is after being flogged at the command of Pilate, the ruler. Our savior, his flesh had been torn to shreds. He's been mocked, he's been scorned. And, and that whole event right, that we just came through in, in the Easter store season, that was the powers, the rulers, the authorities that put Jesus there. I mean, at first read, that's what you see, right? The, the Jewish leaders, they had this mockery of a trial because they were jealous of Jesus. They, they, they thought he was nuts. They didn't think he was the son of God. So through manipulation, through lies in the dark, they arrested him. And they, they had this whole plan to have the spotless lamb of God condemned to death because they had the power to do so. And then you have Pilate, the Roman authority of the day. Right? Not wanting to put an innocent man to death, he offered Barabbas. The guilty murderer and the crowds and then the Jewish leaders, they all chose that Jesus, the innocent, holy, and blameless one, would die instead. Right? So Pilate, it was on his command that Jesus is executed, crucified. The Roman soldiers then stripped Jesus of his clothes. And we're told that while he was on the cross, they gambled for Jesus' last earthly possessions. And that moment that Paul said, Jesus is putting the rulers to shame. Jesus dies naked, humiliated, exposed, appearing to all the world that he was guilty and a criminal, all due to the work of these powers and authorities. Right? So, so just think about that. We already read that by Jesus, all things were created, including the thrones, dominions, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The, the gospel is showing you the cosmic king, our creator, willingly submitting to suffering and death at the hands of his creation. And I know if you and I were there, if you walked by Golgotha, that hill, that day when Jesus died, when he was humiliated, losing, weak, it would appear to everyone that those powers and authorities have won. And what, yet according to verse 15, it's not the rulers and authorities in charge. Paul calls Jesus's humiliation a triumph. He's triumphing over them. It's a functional victory parade as he dies. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it wasn't the rulers in charge. It was King Jesus on his throne. Disarming the rulers, not through sword, not through might, but through voluntary weakness. Paul's highlighting how Jesus is changing things. There's a gospel irony here. It looks like losing, but the cross is God's victory. Right, so when you see Jesus bleeding, dying out at the command of the authorities, when he breathes his last and says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, that's his triumph. By dying naked and shamed, if this is a victory parade, I want to show you this. This is Jesus being honored and praised from God's perspective. 
Yeah, but there's there's a way to look at this, even though he's, it seems like he's dying a failure. Jesus is actually successful. So, right, like I said, who are these rulers and authorities? It looks like the corrupt governments, all those in power, that Jesus, by submitting to Pilate, the chief priest, this corrupt justice system, um, he, he's actually putting them to shame. That, that is the weapons, the power. This is the power that these authorities have. So the weapons they have are shame and death. Right? They put Jesus to, to open shame. He's naked. He seems to be cursed. He's under a curse on the tree. And then they kill him. That's what the authorities do. Right? And so this is, this is going to be helpful. A you know, modern example would be in World War II. We, we just watched that film, A Hidden Life, a few weeks ago, and it's the true story of a Jesus follower in Austria in World War II, and he refused to submit an oath to Hitler, the, the evil power of the day, to participate in evil because of his faith. And what did the rulers and authorities do? Well, First, he was Franz Jagerstatter, which is his name. Franz was shunned by his community. He was shamed through words. He was physically attacked. He was treated by his former neighbors and, and his, his friends and former friends and neighbors as an enemy. But then he was arrested. And then he was beaten. And then he too was submitted to a mockery of a trial where the, the, the Nazis put him to death and said, your protest means nothing. And then he was executed. To everybody watching, it looked foolish. See, the, 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 from an earthly perspective, the power of the rulers and authorities over us, they can use shame, humiliation, and death. Right? That's the world we live in. And if you were under Roman occupation in Paul's day, you would know that very clearly. All right, so that, that's one way to look at this. I think there's more to it. There's another layer to these rulers and authorities. Paul is talking specifically, I think, about the spiritual warfare that happened when he died. Right? That, that the powers, the earthly powers against Jesus are imitating the spiritual powers that are against Jesus. Right? There's, there's a mirror there. And so we got to talk about spiritual warfare. Right? And, and I think this is... Even though spiritual warfare has all kinds of weird connotations, especially if you've never thought about this, but it, it is a very real healing balm for our not okayness, for our shame. Right? And so here's the premise, according to Paul, of how spiritual warfare works in Colossians. That our battles are more than against people, but against the dominion of darkness. That there, this is the worldview of the Bible, right? That, that a supernatural evil exists. He's not equal to God by any means. He's real. He's under God's sovereignty, but he is known as the accuser. And so what Paul is assuming as he writes this letter is that there is a real personal spiritual evil that uses shame and our fear of death to humiliate us, and it causes all kinds of harm and destruction in our lives. Right? So we're, we're in a war, 
And it's a war to believe everything Paul has said. And that's what we're going to talk about. But when you're talking about spiritual warfare, I mean, C.S. Lewis is really helpful. There are two equal and opposite errors in, in talking about this stuff. You can, you can ignore it and say this is just a primitive worldview and roll your eyes. Even though Jesus taught us, deliver us from evil. That's how he taught us to pray. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, the other error would be to, to see demonic things behind every door, behind every hurt, behind every inconvenience where you blame, blame the devil on everything you do. Right. You don't want to give him more credit than he deserves. I mean, maybe even though the word spiritual warfare have triggered holy water and casting out demons. I'm not sure what your experiences are with these, these terms. But according to Colossians, according to Paul, here's how spiritual warfare works, is that human beings need rescued from the domain of darkness. That's chapter one, I believe verse 13. That we needed Jesus to rescue us from evil, from the powers of the rulers and authorities, spiritual evil that put us to shame, that accuse us, that, that what Paul in Ephesians 6 will call the fiery darts of the evil one, right? These darts of guilt, these darts of, of fear, these darts of shame. Right? Spiritual warfare starts but just by recognizing we need rescued. Jesus said the same thing in Mark chapter 3. This is great. Jesus is accused of, of teaming up with Satan, right? He's, he's already casted out demons. He's, he's forgiven sins. He's healed the paralytic man right at the beginning. He's done all kinds of incredible things. And these religious rulers of the day come and say, you're not God's son. You've teamed up with Satan. The only way you do anything is because you have Satan flowing through you. The Beelzebub. And this is what Jesus says. I mean, one, a, a kingdom divided cannot stand. This is how he describes his mission. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And so Jesus describes his mission as a rescue mission. We first has to bind the powers of the evil one. You could put it that way so that he can plunder us from the domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his beloved son, of God's beloved son. Now, how does he do that? Well, in Mark 3, it's, it's fascinating. Jesus immediately moves from, I'm here to bind the strong man to talking about forgiveness. Right? It's that whole question about what's the unforgivable sin. Right? Everything known to man will be forgiven, except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I, I preached on that before. It's the rejecting Jesus and his grace. What the Spirit is communicating to you. Right? So Paul says the same thing. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 13. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, Paul compares, this is what life is like in the darkness under this domain, the word for powers and authorities. He says, 
you were once unforgiven. That's what life is like there, filled with guilt. And it's contrasted with life in Jesus's kingdom, which is a world where you're forgiven, where you live every day as one who is forgiven. You see that? Coming out of and under the authority of these spiritual powers is connected, it's tied to needing forgiveness. This is how spiritual warfare works. It's incredibly ordinary in the Christian worldview and extraordinary at the same time. Right? Look again in chapter two, verse 13. Um, it says, God made us alive together with Jesus, forgiving us all our trespasses and forgiving our debt that stood against us. And then he immediately starts talking about the rulers and authorities that no longer have power over you. See the connection? See, spiritual warfare, according to Colossians, and I think according to Paul, it's fair to say it's this battle to believe that chapter two is true. The battle to believe that I am in Christ and because I'm in Christ, all my sins are forgiven. And because I'm in Christ and all my trespasses are forgiven, God is not mad at me. Because the debt was paid by Christ when he lived, when he died, and he rose again. Right. Let me say that again. And I, I, I've, I've seen this in my experience, short experience as a pastor. Um, ordinary spiritual warfare is just to believe that all your trespasses against God and against other people, which are also against God, are all forgiven. To believe that God's mercy is still true for you in Christ. Keep that phrase. That no matter how weak you feel, how dumb that thing is that you just did again, right? To, to come back and say, I am still free. To let the Holy Spirit lead you to that great word in, in verse, in chapter two, where it says all, it's all inclusive. And then go to war with your heart that stubbornly doesn't want to believe it because we're more used to the darkness than living in the light. Spiritual warfare is us being brought by Jesus out of darkness and into light and to believe it. I mean, there's nowhere where Paul is, is saying you need to get out there and just start yelling at the demons. He's, he's saying, look at what happened on the cross Look at whose authority and, and grace you now live under and live with, Jesus. But it doesn't make it any easier. This is a battle. It's a reason it's called spiritual warfare. Right? Think about shame for a moment, and we'll connect it to Jesus in, in verse 15. This is the whole story of the Bible. We live in a world where shame is normal. It's in the air you breathe. It's in your, your marriage and, and affects your ability to just open yourself up to your spouse, to build a friendship. Shame haunts our loneliness. when We wonder if we're worthy of people's attention and affection. It lurks in our parent parenting. Uh, when we feel like terrible parents because we lost our temper again or whatever that might be. Kids, you feel shame. You feel it when you say, why won't somebody just be happy with me? I'm not the favorite. That's shame. 
All I'm doing is just starting to describe the world according to Genesis 3, which is normal under the domain of darkness outside of Christ, where shame is an unwelcome, unnatural predator that hides. It loves the darkness, and in the darkness, it accuses you, and it says you are unlovely and unlovable. And that's the story of Adam and Eve. They sinned. They went from being naked and unashamed, enjoying God and one another, to, to running away, hiding, afraid to be known and seen by God and by one another. They're alienated spiritually. They're alienated uh, psychologically. Um, and they're alienated relationally. All because what did they do? They submitted to the authority of this mysterious evil power of the serpent. So let me make this practical for you. What's life like in your headspace these last seven weeks? What story are you telling yourself? What are you hiding? Right. Where's, where's shame trying to beat you down? Maybe you feel like Rocky. I keep fighting because even if I lose, if even if this guy opens up my head, then I'll know for the first time, I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. You can be highly successful and highly motivated to hide your shame. Shame lurks behind our bad decisions when we beat ourselves up or we fill in the blank and you say, I'm just a terrible, you fill in the blank as you do. Right? You know what it's like. You can hear that donkey braying in your ear as you accuse yourself. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Right? It's, it's shame. See, life under the domain of darkness without Christ is a place that's suffocating and isolating because we are shown that, that we, there's something wrong with us and we cannot fix it. It's, it's the accuser coming after us. Saying, you know that thing you did? How can you call yourself a Christian? You did that before you were a Christian, but now you did that while you believe in Jesus? Who do you think you are? What do you do with that? C.S. Lewis, I think, understood this well, and he taught it to children. Right? So kids, if you know the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, when these four st siblings stumble through the wardrobe, through this closet, into another world, it's a land where it's always winter and never Christmas, under the domain of darkness, under the rule of the white witch. And you remember, she commits Edmund to to trespass, to commit treason, to turn on his siblings, to partner with darkness. Right? And, and in the story, Edmund ends up in chains and prison in the castle. And when he's rescued, even when he's rescued, he can't get, his, he can't get free of the guilt and shame of what he has done. Because what does the witch say? All those who commit treason are mine. Right? Saying you can't get away from that thing that accuses you. You're guilty. You deserve judgment. And in the story, what happens? It's Aslan, the Christ figure, who volunteered to be shamed, to be killed in his place, to die for the traitor as an act of love, to set him free from accusation. Right. 
And that's, that's how we do spiritual warfare. That's how we use verse 15 in our Christian lives, where we own our treason and we look to Jesus on the cross, who volunteered with his life and death by being put to shame himself to give us his victory. All right, so look at Jesus on the cross with me. You'll see how this works. <clears throat> Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in it, I think in the cross. It means he took away their powers. That word to disarmed, right? It's, a, it's also a Greek word for stripping, stripping away. It's like you're, if you're fighting in a battle, you want to take away your enemy's armor and weapons so they're harmless. Same idea. So while Jesus is dying, this is him disarming the powers. And he publicly shamed them. He put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. And that word triumph is a great word that, that just helps fill this whole picture out. In the ancient world, when, when there was a, a military triumph, especially in the Roman world, Paul uses a specific word, uh, they would throw a victory parade. When Roman generals would come into the city after humiliating their enemies, right, blood and, and guts and gore and, and, and glorious victory following them, they would come into the city to the sound of thunderous applause, dragging their beaten and humiliated enemies and showing the whole city that these people are powerless and have no more say over you. And the whole time while the whole city is just clapping, cheering, right, it's they'd have somebody saying, by the way, remember, you're human. <laughs> that was one servant's job. You'd have to tell the general, you may feel like a god right now, but you're not. That's the word Paul uses to describe Jesus's death. A victory parade that is publicly showing the world that the rulers and authorities have no say over you anymore. Jesus's death it's God's triumph, putting them to open shame. And if we are in him, as that's Paul's argument in chapter two, that's our victory and triumph as well, because we're hidden in him. This is the gospel, my friends. This is, this is the reversal happening, that Jesus taking the judgment for sin for all his loved ones, being shamed, being in his weakness, his chosen weakness, being forsaken by God, going through the hell of itself. Paul says that is his triumph. Humiliating the power, showing you that they have no more say over you. They can't accuse you anymore. He defeated the powers by being defeated by them. So think about this. Why is this a triumph for us? as we look at what Jesus did. Christian, if everything is forgiven, what are the powers and authorities gonna to do to shame you? Right? Are they gonna point out that you've done something wrong? Well, that was forgiven in Christ. Right? I mean, even, even our trespasses, those things like Edmund that we chose to do what we wanted because, well, because just of our own self-indulgence and pleasure. No, we, it has no authority over us anymore. Our authority now is under Jesus, who loves us. So spiritual warfare is believing what happened on the cross 
learning like this great hymn writer, it's anonymous, I don't know who wrote this. Right? But being able to say that though the vile accuser roar of the sins that I have done, you can say, I know them well and thousands more. But my God, he knoweth none. He knoweth none. Because all trespasses have been forgiven. Feel lighter? I mean, this is life in the kingdom of God's beloved son who loved you and loves you even now. What Paul is saying and is connecting the story too is that Jesus is in the process through his death and then his resurrection and doing right now. He is working on making a shameless creation. I mean, just imagine living a life, being in a relationship with God and with other people where you're not ashamed of yourself, you don't hate yourself, you're fully confident. That's what creation is rushing headlong towards in Christ. The new heavens and new earth is going to be filled with shameless people as we're all going to be renewed into the image of Christ. Connect verse 15 to verses 13 and 14. You can't be accused. We are unaccusable, above reproach, Paul has already said in Colossians. So now what do you ask? What are the rulers and authorities going to do to you? Kill you? Right? This, is, this has been a strength for Christians for, for the last centuries. Because now in Christ, if we have triumphed over death, and he has risen. Death is just a doorway to unending joy to getting closer to that shameless existence. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? If you've been raised with him, when he returns, you're going to be with him. Death is now a lion without teeth, a thorn without sting. That because Christ died and rose again, this light momentary affliction cannot be compared to the, to the glory to come. Because Jesus went through the hell of the cross, which turns out to be a victory parade for all those in Christ Jesus, a triumph of our Savior. Even as I say these things, this is what we're doing. I'm engaging in spiritual warfare with you and for you now, that we are fighting to believe the objective truths of what happened in Jesus Christ, of how Jesus turned our shame into praise. As he is, right, this is the, the, the victory parade on the cross. He's getting the applause and we get to share in it. So how do you apply this? And this, this is how we'll end here. I gave you a lot to think about. And one of the things this says that I find really helpful, and this is a good counseling thing to, to wrestle with yourself, and you know your own story, and I've heard some of your stories. If you have, you know what it's like to be Jesus um, in the sense of you've had somebody in power who has chosen to use that power not to help you, but to harm you, putting you to open shame, whatever that might look like. It could be something as simple as a sinful father just losing his temper. One of the things the gospel gives you 
is we find comfort in Jesus who knows what it is like to lose, who knows what it's like to have someone in power use it for wrong. And that there's immense comfort that he has been tempted and tested in every way you and I have been. He knows the human experience. And that's, that's what this great poem by Edward Shinto in the aftermath of World War I says, that, that in Jesus, right, this is what he says, that the other gods were strong, but you, thou, wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Right? And he's just highlighting the wonder of Jesus, who is the fullness of God in human flesh, who was wounded by power to set you free from the accusations that those in power throw at you. Right? So find comfort in the one who has suffered the way we have suffered. Two, you can lean into your union with Christ then to go to war against your shame. And that, that's part of the spiritual warfare we've been talking about, right? That's, this Christian counselor says, Kurt Thompson, that from the beginning, it has been God's purpose for this world to be one of emerging goodness, beauty, and joy. And evil has wielded shame as a primary weapon to see that that never happens. And when you go to war against your shame, you're not just going to war against something you detest and hate. It's, you're going to war against your shame so that you can become like Jesus. And that's where Paul's going to lead us. That we might grow up to be who we were born to be in Christ. And what, what he's saying, and it's the same thing that I think the message of Colossians is getting at, to believe the gospel, to go to war with your shame, to believe that everything is forgiven, that you are loved, present tense, by the cosmic creator and king of all things. It's, it's going to take time, but it's going to heal your shame. To, to have someone that significant pay attention to, to us who are just dust, that heals you. It's the gospel. And it's what gives you the freedom to shake off the chains of your inferiority complex. Jesus was put to shame for you who believe. And it also shakes off the chains of our superiority complex because I had to be delivered from the domain of darkness. We didn't go too deep in this, but Paul elsewhere in Ephesians says we were willing participants. We weren't just trapped. We stayed. We use power poorly. Right? I needed to be delivered. I needed help. That pushes me down into humility. Right? So use your union with Christ, described here in chapter 2, to go to war against your shame. And then lastly, this is Paul's argument for staying close to Jesus. <clears throat> right? this, is, this is the point. There's two parts to this. Why would you go back to any other authority or rule? Why would you submit to anyone other than Jesus, any other God, any other power, any other faith? No one deals with your shame the way the God of the Bible, the way Jesus deals with your shame. Don't be deceived by any other way. It's simply faith in what Jesus did by being put to shame himself. Right? And when you do that, 
this is part of the rest of the story of the gospel, you get to share in God's praise of Jesus. You become a beloved child of God. You get to run all the way into the heavenly throne room. God literally turns your shame into praise, that you are loved with the same love that Jesus has had for all of eternity. No one deals with your shame the way Jesus deals with your shame. So why would you submit to any other accusation or any other authority? They will not treat you that well. Nothing can be compared to this. Right, we're in Christ, which means when Jesus was naked and humiliated on the cross, and Paul calls it a triumph over the powers, that is now your story in Christ. You are, that's why Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in Romans 8. No one else uses power and authority to love you like that. Right? No one in heaven and on earth can take away that praise that we have been given in Christ Jesus. The, the thunderous applause of heaven and delight of the Father um, for Christ's victory. And if your life is hidden with Christ in God, or hidden in Christ with God, as chapter 3-1 says, saying you can trust him. You can trust him with your shame. You can go to him and talk about what you're ashamed of. Because you are now unaccusable. All your trespasses have been forgiven. And you get now to learn, and this is the rest of the book, the letter that we're going to transition to. Is how do you walk in this freedom as a human being who has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus, who loved you and gave himself up for you? Why would you leave someone who loves you like that? Let's pray. Father and our God, I pray that, uh, that what is true would be, be planted deep into our hearts, that, that your, your grace bought and paid for us by Jesus um, would just shine deeply and lift us up out of the, the muck and mire of our own self-inflicted wounds and despair. Uh, may we see now that our shame has been defeated by Jesus, even over these evil rulers, and that help us now to live as more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. And know for sure that no amount of losing on this earth can take it away. And so I pray the gospel, the good news of what we've seen and heard and meditated on, will give us courage and strength to persevere through this time of isolation. You would meet us in our loneliness. And if there are those who do not yet know the kindness of our Savior, Lord, that, that you would overwhelm their fear with the goodness of our King. And so I, I pray now as we, we respond, uh, you, would, you would get the glory as we get to enjoy your love of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are going to sing, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. All right, let's begin. Brandon gets the words up. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy. 
my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Second verse. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, no fate I dread, I know I am forgiven, the future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, yet my lips will repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
Brandon, could you put that back up? <laughs> I got to read my benediction. I just realized I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> Thank you. We end with a benediction. This is a good word from our God. Now to you who were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, who have now been reconciled to God through the death of Christ. We have been brought into his own presence and stand holy and blameless before him without fault. Go out from here in joy and be led forth in peace until we hear the mountains burst into song before you and we see all the trees of the field clap their hands. Go now as witnesses of Christ's resurrection and hope. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. I am going to sign off and say goodbye to our Facebook friends. And if you want to stay and hang out and chat, we will set up our breakout rooms. <laughs>